It's good to be back together with you after uh, some time off last week to join you in the beginning of a new, a new year together as a church family. I want to invite you to take out your Bibles and open back up to the book of James. Way back at the end of the summer and the start of the fall, we started into a careful study of this letter from James to the church. And back, back at that time, it was right around the time everyone was heading back to school. So if you can remember, we distributed these composition notebooks and invited you to, to sort of write out, to practice your penmanship in writing out the entire letter, verse by verse, word by word. And each week we also had some questions to reflect on and to journal about in those notebooks for, for the week that followed. I've actually uh, re replenished our supply of these notebooks at both exits. So uh, if you brought, I, I failed to get out an announcement this week to invite you to bring them back. Some of you may, may have them as a habit. Um, feel free to, to look through those this morning. If you've got them at home, Feel free to bring them back with you to worship over the next couple months uh, as we continue our way through James. If you didn't get one this fall or if you don't know what happened to it, feel free to grab another notebook on your way out this morning. Many of you shared with me that during those, those two months when we started into the book of James, that you felt like you were, were being encouraged. You were learning new things. You felt that the work of the, the Spirit revealing and giving you wisdom in new ways. And, and some of that was just through that practice of writing scripture, of praying scripture, of reflecting on scripture throughout the week. And we made it, you know, all the way to the end of James 3 together before we took a break to talk about our core values and before we entered into the season of Advent together. But now my aim is, is sort of to finish what we started back, back in the fall. But before we jump right into James chapter 4, verse 1, I thought it might be useful to take a week to review some of the ground we covered back, uh, back earlier last year. So you might think about this morning as a kind of refresher class. And you might, as Marcel said this morning, you might want to buckle up. We've got three chapters of scripture to cover in the next 20, 25 minutes. So I'll try to, to move fast. Um, you, can, you can try to keep up. Um, but if you have your Bibles open, I won't be reading all of that scripture, but you'll be able to reference sort of where we're at and what James is teaching throughout. At each, uh, from each of those weeks that we covered uh, previously, I've got a single verse that I'll put up this morning and also a reflection question. And my intent is not for you to have to copy all of those out or to reflect on all that this morning, but if there are particular passages of scripture that we covered back then that, that feel significant or relevant to this current moment, maybe you'd want to write them out. Maybe you'd want to jot them down and reflect on them going forward. I think the, the looking back, hopefully, is a helpful exercise for us to also look forward to what, what the Lord might do in us and grow in us in a new year. So with that, let me um, pray for us as we open the word of God to us together. 
Holy Spirit, you are gracious to minister to us where we are weak, where we need help, where we need wisdom, where we are lacking. And one of the greatest gifts you have given us is the living word of God to us. Lord, as I preach this morning, may my words, the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts, as we receive your word of truth, may all those things be pleasing to you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to open up to James 1, those first few verses as we get underway. And as a bit of background or context, you might remember that James is very likely the earliest piece, earliest part of the New Testament we have. James was probably writing somewhere around 45 to 50 AD, just a, you know, a little more than a decade after the the death and resurrection of his older brother, Jesus. And James became a a believer. He came to to trust in who Jesus was after a resurrection appearance. And, And from that time became essentially the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he led the church through those first several decades of, of growth, but also through significant hardship and persecution. But James's conviction is that no matter what circumstances, no matter what hardships, no matter what trials those earliest believers experienced, that there was an opportunity in that to grow a deeper, a more complete, a more mature faith. And so we see that in the opening of James's letter. Chapter, chapter 1, right? Verse 1 says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you endure trials of many kinds. Because trials have the opportunity to produce in us faith, and faith to, pers- to produce perseverance. But ultimately, as we get to, to verse 4 here, and I would argue verse 4 in many ways is sort of a, a preview or a, a thesis of, of what James wants to say in the next five chapters. James says the goal of, of the Christian life is not just to get through times of trial, but it's to invite God to do this deeper work, right? To let perseverance finish its work so that we might become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James's prayer is that we might have mature or complete faith. We might be moving toward that throughout our lives, throughout difficult seasons. And I know that we haven't lived through the kind of persecution that James is is writing to, the audience he's writing to endured there in the first century. But back in August, I, I asked you to think about the last couple years because we have been through a uniquely challenging, a uniquely trying season. No matter who you are, no matter what your circumstances have been, there have been trials that we have been moving through. And I invited you back in August to think about what those trials are, what they have looked like specifically for you. 
but not just to sort of, you know, complain about our trials, but also to ask the Holy Spirit, what kind of growth might the Lord be pursuing in you through these trials? How are hard things growing spiritual maturity in you? And it would be interesting if you journaled about that, if you reflected on that, to to go back and look at that now five months later and to see what the Lord's been doing in you, how things may have changed, or maybe that growth process is still ongoing as we we start into 2022. But beginning in verse 5, so we get sort of through that first introductory section in chapter 1, I think James points us to how we begin to take steps toward growth, toward maturity. And he says the first thing we have to do is, maybe it feels uncomfortable, but we have to acknowledge where we need to grow. We have to acknowledge where we're lacking. But there's, I think, a freedom that comes with that, when we can name our limits, when we can tell God we have deficits, when we can admit that we have limited wisdom, we don't understand everything, when we can admit that we have limited faith, that we struggle when we can admit that we have a limited perspective. James says it's okay and it's actually necessary for us to acknowledge our limits because that puts us in a position to ask God for help. And as verse 5 reminds us, if we lack anything, be it wisdom or faith or maturity, God is a generous, a gracious giver. And he's willing to supply, he's willing to make up that difference for us in a way that's probably hard for us to believe that God is that good, that, that willing to enter into that space where we're broken or lacking. So a question that I invited you to reflect on back, back in August was to do some thinking about where do you experience that sense of limitation or deficit or brokenness? Where do you need help? And then, can you actually cultivate a practice every day, every week, instead of feeling insecure or anxious or fearful about those things, to just get in the habit of of saying, Lord, this is where I'm at. This is my present circumstance, and I need your help. Could you be with me in those places where I'm limited? That moves us, I think, into the next section in chapter 1. where James looks at what happens when we're in these times of testing. What happens when we kind of come up against our limits? And I think for most of us, when we're tempted, when we're tested, when we're enduring trials, stress is what's produced within us. Fear is what's produced in us. And James wants us to pay attention here in these verses to how the endurance of trials, how it causes or or shapes the way we think about ourselves, and in particular, the way we think about who God is during those times. Came across a quote a few weeks ago by A.W. Tozer, who maybe some of you have read. And Tozer says this, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say that again. What we think about God 
is the most important thing about us. And so in this section, in and around sort of the middle of chapter 1, James wants us to examine when we're being tested, when we're, when we're being tried, when we're, when we're stressed, when we're fearful, how does that color our picture of what we think God is like? Sometimes I think in, in my own life, in those times, I, I can believe that God's behind all these hard things. That God somehow delights in in tempting us, or God's sort of standing there in the shadows watching and waiting for us to fail. God's got all these expectations he's looking for us to meet. And if that's our picture of God, if that's what we assume God is actually like, then we're going to lose heart. We're going to lose faith. We're not going to persevere to completion and maturity. Instead, James says, when, when we're in those times, when our thoughts begin to slide in that direction, we need to be refreshed by what he calls the word of truth given to us. And in verses 16 and 17, he reminds us that in every trial, in every test, God is not there tempting us or waiting for us to fail, but he is present to us. He's a good father who stands with us, and who is always supplying gifts to his children so that we might keep on that pathway of growth and maturity. It's moving us to that place where we would lack no good thing. So again, a point of reflection on that. Maybe in this day, in this week, in this month, When you come into times of stress, when things aren't going particularly well, stop and ask yourselves, what do I believe about God in that moment? What do I believe about how he's present to me, how he's willing to meet with me? Do I think he stands far off, or do I know that he's a father who gives good gifts, who wants me to grow closer to him? We move us forward to the the week after that, where we were looking at the last bit of chapter 1. And here I think James drills down into like a concrete practice, a skill that helps us, you know, when we're in these times of testing and trial, what he says we need most is to come back to those words of truth. Come back to what he says is, is the word of truth planted within us and that can save us. And he says the way that we learn to attend to that truth is by practicing the discipline of listening. Listening well. And and James is partly concerned with how we listen to one another, but I think he's most concerned with how well we listen to the voice of God. And he names in this section all the, the distracting voices, all the deceiving voices, all the desires within our hearts that would, would produce kind of noise and, and block out the word God has spoken to us. But instead, in verse 21, tells us to listen to and to receive, again, that word planted within us, ready to save us. 
And I think the, the only way to, to learn and develop this skill of listening to the word of God is, is to do it, is to make space, to simply be quiet and to pray scripture, to write out scripture. And then even as you, as you fill your mind and your heart with the words of God to you, then just to be quiet, to be still. So maybe that's something you might want to do today or this week. Does God have something he wants to communicate to your heart? And try even just sitting still, sitting in silence for five minutes. Consider what the truth of God is for you. What, what is it he wants you to know specifically about who he is and about who you are? So that's James chapter 1, all the way up to the last verse. I think James chapter 1 is really a kind of a deep dive into what's happening within us during difficult times. How God's developing mature faith in the the deep places of who we are. But beginning in the the last verse of chapter 1 and then into chapters 2 and 3, I think James wants to see how the the deep places of maturity and faith during these times of testing, how they get expressed outward in our actions, in our choices, in our behaviors, both individually and and also together as a church body. And so in verse 127, James talks about what he calls pure religion or true religion. James' conviction is that the word of God planted in us that we listen to and attend to has to be lived out through us. And at the beginning of chapter 2 there, he kind of gives us one metric. He's, he's going to give us a bunch of different metrics or litmus tests to evaluate how, how deeply we are receiving this word of God through its outward expressions. And in, in the beginning of chapter 2, he wants us to look at how deeply we both give and receive the mercy of God. James knows that when we're people who receive the mercy of God deeply, when we experience that God accepts us, that God welcomes us despite all of those limits, all of those deficits, all of the, the garbage that's still in our hearts, when we experience that mercy firsthand, James knows we can then be that mercy to others. And so at the beginning of chapter 2 there, he he speaks about what it looks like for the church to be a community that practices mercy, that practices hospitality, that welcomes all people into its embrace. No matter how awkward, no matter how shameful, no matter how poor or rich, no matter how lonely, every sinner is welcomed into the family of worship. So James challenges us to be a people who live by the standard, not of of our own judgments, not of our own rules or regulations, but to be people who live out the mercy of God. So a question to reflect on there is, where are you giving, where are you receiving mercy day to day? Where do we struggle to do that? The second half of chapter 2, James hits this theme even harder of, of having real faith, active faith, 
living faith. And he warns us against uh, a version of faith that's purely abstracted, purely ideal, purely in our heads as an idea. James says we have to be willing to allow our faith to inconvenience us with real people, real problems, real needs. And James warns us that that reducing faith to just an idea or even just a belief is a game that demons like to play. He says the demons know who God is. They just refuse to do anything about that knowledge. They refuse to obey God. They refuse to worship him through living obedience. And so in 2.26, James warns, faith without deeds, without action, without response is dead. It's incomplete. It's lacking. It's insufficient. And so just like back in chapter 1 where we talked about acknowledging our deficits, acknowledging our limits, and asking God to help us. I think a way that we can reflect on James 2 is to look at where the disconnects are in our life. Where is there a difference between what we say we believe and what we find ourselves doing? And as we identify where those places of disconnect are, again, frame them as prayers. Lord, help me. Lord, enter into this. Lord, I'm struggling with this. I need your help. I want to have two two more sections here to move us through James 3. And then we're going to come to the Lord's table together. If I can get my slides to go forward. There we go. Two more sort of tests James gives us in chapter 3. To see whether we are, are receiving kind of that that faith that's moving us toward completion. Chapter 3, verses 1 and following, James identifies one of the primary places of disconnect for most believers, and that's between what we believe and what we say, the words that come out of our mouth. Back in September, Jody Van Horn walked us through these verses in James 3, and he talked about that the tongue of our bodies, the the use of our words being like an index or a key to our hearts. And again, there's this constant interplay in James that what's happening within us expresses outwardly, and and what we do outwardly is a a window into what's happening within us. So we look at at both of these dimensions. James 3.2 says, We all stumble in many ways, and anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. The idea being that our our tongues, our words, are bound up with our wills, they're bound up with our soul and our heart and our desires, and all of that sort of gets amplified out in our speech. And so we have this positive power to use words to speak life, to speak encouragement. On the other hand, James warns us that often our words are our breeding ground for the fire of hell. And we have to think about what is the tongue drawing up from the deepest places in our soul? And if we notice that it's drawing up things that are impure, things that are untrue, 
things that are spiteful, then we, we again need to come back to the Lord and ask him to cleanse our mouths and our hearts, to purify us, to make us wise. And so a, a point of application or reflection from James 3. Are there words in the past week, let's say, or the past month that you need to unsay? You need the Spirit's help to confess Those were not words of truth. And you need to make that phone call or have that conversation with someone you spoke unlovingly toward. On the other hand, are there words God has placed within you that you need to speak out? The work of the Spirit overflowing through you to encourage or build up or exhort. What are the words of God planted within you that need to come forth? Finally, the the last section of James we looked at was, again, a kind of cumulative, what I'd say, a a litmus test for what's going on within us. And here James talks about two kinds of wisdom. He talks about heavenly wisdom and essentially hellish wisdom, wisdom from, from hell. And again, James's deepest concern is that we get the good stuff and we get rid of the counterfeit stuff. And he knows that that the world he was writing to, at least at that time, really viewed wisdom as kind of this this sophisticated, this lofty thing. When you were wise, you had lots of knowledge and information, and you could use that to control other people. You could use that to impress other people. You could use that to get people to do what you wanted them to do. That was wisdom. But James says that kind of wisdom is actually idolatry. That kind of wisdom actually is predicated on the worship of the self. That kind of wisdom, James says, is from hell. Instead, James wants to paint a very different, a radically different picture of wisdom in the first century. And he calls it the wisdom that comes from heaven. In verse 17, we we get a, a descriptive list of what that wisdom looks like, the fruits of that wisdom. Heavenly wisdom, James says, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, then submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Real wisdom, James says, ends up looking an awfully lot like Jesus himself. Jesus, who comes as wisdom and power and authority from heaven. But he comes among us gentle and humble in heart. Jesus comes to us as a servant of God, who's crucified for us. So James's prayer is that we might become a people who practice heavenly wisdom, who bear the fruits of wisdom that cause us to resemble the Son of God from heaven, Jesus the Son. So that's James 1 through 3 in a nutshell. I know that's a lot to process, a lot to hold on to. But as we move to the Lord's table, we'll have a few moments to to receive the word of God given to us and planted within us. I want you to, to ponder and reflect Which of those words 
maybe the Spirit is speaking to you right now. But I want you to do that in the context of receiving another good gift, and that's the gift of the living body, the living presence of Jesus himself.